Uh, if you guys would open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 3, we're going to pick back up in our study this week. And I'm actually really looking forward to this morning's message. How many of you guys have heard of John the Baptist? Yeah? I wore my John the Baptist shirt this morning for you all. It's made of camel's hair, and there's honey and locusts stuck to it all over the inside. I've been eating them on vacation for a week. It's so nice. Anyway, uh, Matthew chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. Let's pray, and then let's dig in. Jesus, uh, I just thank you for your church. I thank you for each individual here, God, and I don't believe that it's coincidence that they're here this morning. And we pray, Jesus, that you would do a deep work within our hearts. God, we're not looking for just surface level um, changes, but we're looking for deep change. God, we're looking for transformation. And so I pray this morning for each person here that they would allow you, Jesus, to come in and to do the work deep inside them that you want to do. God, I pray that this morning uh, you would just use your word to point us to you. You'd use your word to stir up our affections for you, Jesus. And I pray that we would each leave here this morning knowing you, being closer to you, loving you even more than when we came, Lord. So we give you this time, and um, we pray, Jesus, that you'd use it to build us up, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 3. Last week, uh, Josh taught through Matthew chapter 2, and he spoke of Matthew 2 as being this, um, as he called it, a hinge that Matthew would use to uh, move into some new directions in his gospel account. And it really was like a hinging chapter. From here on out, we're really starting to get to some of the fun stuff. Uh, This morning is still a little bit foundational, but we're taking this turn into actually just diving into the life of Jesus. And um, there was one thing that Josh said last week that stuck out to me, and it's something that we've continued to reiterate as a staff as we've been talking through the book of Matthew. But he said that, This isn't about knowledge, um, but it's about knowledge that leads to action, which we would call belief. And so um, I want to remind us that our whole purpose in this study is not to puff ourselves up with tons of knowledge. Our prayer is that by way of knowledge and learning about the deeper things of God and the life of Christ, that it actually would drive us as followers of Jesus to action. Um, that there would be a deeper transformative work that would happen within our hearts that would actually drive us to live for him. And so this morning as we um, dive into Matthew chapter 3, I want to kind of set the stage a little bit. And I think we got to go into Luke um, because Luke probably gives the most elaborative account of uh, John's uh, kind of coming to life, (laughs) um, his birth. And uh, and so I want to read Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25 this morning, which I know is a lot. And then we're going to come back into Matthew um, and pick up there. Uh, So if you guys would turn with me to Luke 1, you can say word when you get there. I know there's a lot, but I want you to take this all in. I want you to totally understand who John the Baptist is and what his purpose was in his existence. And so Luke chapter 1, verse 5 says this, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. 
Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside of the hour, at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you, have, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. I want you to hear that this morning. He will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Anybody else struggle with memory loss in your old age? And the angel answered, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out... He was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So they're given the son, John, which we will know as John the Baptist. Um, Now fast Or go back into Matthew, uh, if you would, Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. So John the Baptist at this point has grown up, spending his time preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And this is his message, verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Yum. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance." But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So we have this introduction uh, to John the Baptist between Luke's account in the Gospel of Luke and Matthew's account in the Gospel of Matthew, um, who his parents were. We've 
We've seen how he came to be. Luke establishes for us that this John the Baptist is actually this person of significance, that he's somebody who's going to be great, that he was great. But this is what Jesus says later of John the Baptist in Matthew 11. And all this, I just want to establish some context for you. Jesus said this of John the Baptist. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So there'd be no one to be born of a woman that would ever be greater than John the Baptist. But then he goes on to say, yet the one who's least in the kingdom of heaven is actually greater than John the Baptist. And I find it super intriguing that the, the, the one that God uses to actually intro Jesus and prepare the way for Christ is the one that looks, the one that acts, the one that smells like somebody that the world wouldn't get, and in fact, that the world would marginalize. And I can't help but see that there's these characteristics of John the Baptist that are like oddly similar to the characteristics of those that Jesus would call his own. Uh, And that the lifestyle lived by those that, that live in this kingdom on earth, as it's talked about, ruled over by Jesus, is actually this lifestyle that we see John the Baptist himself living. Uh, I, I also can't help but notice that John the Baptist didn't only prepare the way for Jesus, but he also sets this amazing example of, of what greatness in the kingdom of God actually looks like, what it smells like, what it acts like. And it's nothing like greatness that we see on this earth. I want to establish that. Like John the Baptist is said to be great, the greatest among those that have been born of woman. But it's nothing that the world would have expected. And yet Jesus says that also that there's not been one greater born of a woman than John the Baptist, and then falls up by saying that yet the one who's least in God's kingdom is even greater than him. Referring to like you and I, those who are least in the kingdom of God are, are greater than him. And John the Baptist is probably one of my most favorite people in scripture um, outside of Christ himself. And I think it might be because um, I've definitely struggled throughout life in feeling misunderstood. Has anybody else ever felt like that before? It's probably like one of my greatest fears, just constantly feeling misunderstood by people, feeling overlooked, like feeling like I've been a bit of an outcast my whole life, uh, feeling like people just don't get you. And, and then I read about, the John, about John the Baptist and I realized that here's this man who literally, his literal purpose on this earth was to begin the process of flipping normal religion on its head and preparing the way, paving the way for Christ himself. There's this wave, I was, I was thinking about this this week, like this, there's this wave of like intense Christianity that I think is coming to this earth. The, the, I think that there's this revival that will hit this earth in this moment that the world will not understand. It's coming. A people that will start to give their lives to Jesus that the world will not get, that the religious will marginalize that the religious will reject. And I think that the religious will reject it because it doesn't look like they expected it to. It looks different. And so they write it off, but it will be real. It'll actually be saturated in Jesus. It'll have massive impact in our world. And we know this because this is what it was like for Jesus. And in fact, what it was like for John the Baptist who came to prepare the way for Christ. The the person who introduces us to this kingdom of God in Matthew and Mark is this crazy man. (laughs) 
this crazy spokesperson on behalf of the kingdom of God. And instead of some sort of polished speaker with some university degree and and who's able to be articulate and communicate perfectly, he's actually this reckless and he's this hermit. And he, he lives in the hot Judean desert and he, he eats on food that's only available like in the wilderness. He, he lives off of locusts and honey and he dresses all gnarly. But yet his message is blunt and his message is uncompromising. And... and contained in this message that he gives is, I think, the first key to understanding what the kingdom of God actually is. In Luke's gospel, when you read the backstory of, uh, of JTB, we'll call him, um, we see that he's actually Jesus's cousin, right? The, 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 the angel who announces Mary's pregnancy with Jesus also tells Mary that her cousin Elizabeth is already six months pregnant. Uh, with this baby who's going to become known as John the Baptist. And so his father is this priest. His name is Zechariah. His mother comes from a a priestly lineage as well. And they're pious. They're these God-fearing folks. Their their son is born with this special, special mission from God. And so the, the angel that announced John's birth said this, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will be Uh, Will he bring back to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make a ready people prepared for the Lord. He was a prophet. He was one filled with the Holy Spirit to speak for God. And then the angel sort of outlines his mission, that he's to bring Israel back to the Lord, and that this would actually be evidenced by actual changes in the hearts of the hearers that hear the message that he's going to proclaim. And to do what? To actually prepare a people for the Lord's coming, to set the stage for Christ himself. Um. So what was John's message? So if you, if you look at uh, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, um, let's look at this guy that introduces us to the kingdom of God. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And this was his message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How many of you guys like that word repent, right? It, it's sort of like submission. These are two words that nobody likes to hear when you talk about them from the stage. Um, But they're extremely important words. His message is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Like John is clearly different. His message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Uh, When you look at this word repent uh, in in the Greek, it means uh, that this this root meta means to change or to exchange or to transfer. And then it means to perceive with the mind or to understand. And so it literally means to change one's mind. Repent means to change one's mind and then to feel remorse, like to repent, to be converted, to change. To You're walking this way to repent and turn your ways, to follow Jesus, to acknowledge him. And so John's call is for people to change their mind about the way they were living, to recognize their sins and turn away from them. And repentance um, is John's command, and, and it's the primary sermon that John preaches. I mean, think about this. The guy doesn't say a whole lot. I mean, this is his, his message that he's going to preach over and over again. Repent, for the kingdom of, of heaven is near. Repent. 
One of the chief problems that I think with Christians around the world today, if I'm going to be radically honest with you, is I think that we're really good at claiming the name of Jesus, but being completely unrepentant in our hearts. We're really good at exalting Christ, but not actually turning, not foregoing everything else to allow the king to rule in his kingdom over us. And so people often follow their own ways and their own desires like in direct contradiction to the teaching and the commands of Jesus himself. And I think that if we would actually follow Jesus, that we have to be disciples who are quick to repent when the Spirit of God speaks to our hearts, the first to acknowledge him speaking to us. And this is actually the foundation for anything we read here on out in the book of Matthew because the, the religious that Jesus combated did everything right, but they lacked what? Repentance. They actually lacked a change of heart. They did all the right things. There was not the change of heart that prompted their action. There was only action. That's all they did. And so you can do all the good things in the world, but if your good things lack a heart that has been changed and turned to Jesus, then the good that you do only puffs you up and doesn't point back to Jesus. It makes a lot of you, but not a lot of him. And, and repentance sort of paves the way for Jesus in our lives. It, it heeds to Christ's leadership, to his kingship. It, it places Jesus as king in our lives and everything prompted by the king, everything prompted by Jesus actually bears fruit in our lives and in the, heart, in the hearts and the lives of others. Everything that's moved by him. And, and there was a reason for this command to repent that John gives. The, the, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Uh, as you guys recall from some of our, prime, our prior discussions, um, kingdom of heaven was the Jewish way of saying kingdom of God. And since the Jews actually tried to avoid using this name God, like G-O-D, um, they, they feared that that would be blasphemy to God himself and, and would actually break the second, second commandment. So if you see any Jewish writings, how do they spell God? G-D, right? They don't actually use the name God, because they fear that they're going to be breaking the second commandment. And so the, the reason for repentance was that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, was near. It, it was at hand. And so the, this, again, it meant to draw near, to come near, to approach. And, and, and so um, the, have, you, have you ever been like in an office, let's say, uh, anybody work in an office or yeah, maybe just working at work, wherever you're at, whatever you do. And you suddenly hear that your boss is coming down the hall. And you can hear his footsteps or her footsteps coming down the hall. And you're in your office. What do you do when you hear him coming? You get your act together, right? It's like I should be actually found working when they come by my office door. And so you get your act together. And so um, it's the same thing with John. Like, you have to stop doing the things that you're doing and acknowledge Christ as the only way. Like the king is coming. And I think that John is saying that you have to repent of what you're doing or you'll be found guilty. Now's the time. It's pretty raw stuff. He says in, in chapter three, verse three, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness 
Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. So he refers back to Isaiah hundreds of years prior. And so Matthew begins to explain John's role in God's plan. In the gospel account of the book of John, John the Baptist is asked who he is, and he answers as this. He says, I'm the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Um, Again, John the Baptist was the son of a priest. John the Baptist knew the scriptures. God had told him that he was the spokesman that was actually mentioned in Isaiah's prophecy. As it says, a voice cries out in Isaiah, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And John the Baptist sort of comes in the Judean desert just as the prophecy says, And his task was to prepare the way of the Lord. Literally, John the Baptist was constructing a highway that the king would use to enter his kingdom. Pretty awesome that that was the purpose of his life. But in order for this to work, it actually took a change of heart. And so uh, Isaiah uses the analogy of valleys being filled and cuts being made in the hills so that the road might be level. And he speaks of rough ground and rugged places being smoothed out. And those dips and these hills, if you like imagine them in your mind, those rough and those rugged places that he's talking about, I actually think that he's talking about like our hearts. Like only the conviction of the Holy Spirit followed by repentance can make our hearts, the rough places, the rugged places, make them smooth and fit for the king. Like it's repentance. It's turning to him, acknowledging his way. The Greek word uh, in the gospels that's used for this word prepare means to cause to be ready or um, to keep in readiness or to prepare. And a question I have for you this morning is, what about your own life? This morning, is your life ready? Are you keeping your heart in readiness? Or are you experiencing some sort of gradual decline in your relationship to God? Or are you keeping your heart in a state of readiness? True repentance is this essential part of adopting Christian faith. And in Acts, in uh, Peter's sermon, he he says... um, it's referenced that his sermon cut his hearers to the heart. And then when they begin to ask him what they should do, he says, repent and be baptized. Like it's piercing their hearts. And he says, repent and be baptized. In other words, like feeling sorry in and of itself was not enough. There's something deeper that God wants to do. And this Greek word means a change of mind or a change of heart. It's the change of your determination or your will. And it's this resolve to turn away from sin and to turn towards God. And it's interesting, like you go into verse four there in in Matthew three, he says, now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. And it's even interesting that John himself looked like a prophet. Like one of Israel's most famous prophets that they all would have known would have been Elijah. The Jews would have been familiar with this passage describing Elijah in 2 Kings. It says, he said to them, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? And they answered him, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, 
It is Elijah the Tishbite. And John was this rough dude. He was accustomed to wilderness food, not king's palaces. He didn't live the high life. He was just like this prophet of old, just like Elijah. He wore this prophet's garment of hair. And instead of fine dining and fine food, he actually ate locusts and wild honey, food that he could scrounge up and find in the desert. Later, uh, Jesus praises John in the Gospel of Luke, and he says, What did you go out in the desert to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet, I tell you, among those born of women, there's no greater than John. Uh, And then still later, Jesus identifies John the Baptist as um, the one who had come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And it's interesting, like, if you see the, the response of the nation of Israel to John the Baptist's ministry, because what, how do they begin to treat him when they see this man coming that they weren't expecting, that didn't look the part? Um, But it says in verse 5, it says, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. They were baptized by him in the river Jordan. They were confessing their sins. Like everybody's coming out because this guy, something about him, he's coming out and he's preaching this message of repentance and people are coming out from all over to be baptized by him. But it's really interesting with, even as he begins to preach about this baptism, because we don't have a ton of context with regards to baptism up to this point. Um, Has anybody here ever been to Israel before? Yeah? You ever been out to a place called Qumran? You go out into the desert, this is most likely the area where John himself um, probably was living. And there's this interesting place out in the middle of the desert in Qumran where all these scribes used to live. So the people that were penning the Torah, like literally writing the Torah, lived in these little villages, and they had these little things, uh, these little baths, these ritual baths, and before they would go right in the Torah, they would actually walk down into these little baths, and they would bathe themselves so that they were purified before they would go on to write the Torah. Have you ever seen somebody writing the Torah? As I I went to, um, when we were in Israel, I went and I got to watch this rabbi sitting in this office He'd been there for 10 years, literally penning the Torah by heart, just calligraphy style. And every time he would mess up, he'd rip the page up and he'd start over again. And so there were these little villages that were established out in the desert. And these scribes would bathe themselves. This is like our context of some baptism. They would bathe themselves so that they'd go on and they would begin to write uh, from the Torah. So they were purified. And John the Baptist's baptism that we're talking about was actually this act of purification, but also an act of forgiveness. Um, Prior to John's baptism, it it might even make most sense that their context with regards to baptism could have even been like the first century practice of Jewish proselyte baptisms. So like it was a ritual bath that would signify like a Gentile converting to Judaism and they would cleanse from like their moral and religious impurity. And to think about even uh, a Jew to repent from his sins and be baptized publicly just like a Gentile is pretty interesting to think about. It must have been a humbling experience for a Jew 
to like this equalizer of sorts to be baptized with the Gentiles, like those that they were raised knowing as dirty, but realizing that we are all dirty. And now there's this act of baptism that's like this equalizer, this cleansing that John the Baptism is doing um, with these folks. And so um, it's interesting, though, the kickback that he gets, these Jewish leaders like refuse to admit that they were sinners in this way. And so Luke says that the Pharisees and the expert in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. And so people are coming from all over, being baptized in the Jordan River by John. They're, they're confessing their sins. And confession and repentance were like these central acts to baptism. They were acknowledging this new way that John the Baptist, Baptist is paving the way for. And who were those that kicked back the most against him? It was the religious. And he goes on to say um, in verse 7, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And then he says, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. And I know, does anybody read from the message ever? <laughs> um, I'll probably take hits for this. But... Uh, the way the message portrays this, what John the Baptist is saying to them, is unbelievable. It says, brood of snakes, what do you think you're doing slithering down here to the river? Do you think a little water on your snake skins is going to make any difference? It's your life that must change, not your skin. And don't think you can pull rank by claiming Abraham as your father. And so here's John taking all these people down to baptize them. There's this repentance that's happening, this turning that's happening, this acknowledgement of their sin and their need for this new way. And John the Baptist is cleansing them. He's, he, he's baptizing them. And then you have all the religious leaders who hated Jesus the most coming down to the river to see what's going on because they're intrigued by this, this whole act that's happening. And so you have these Pharisees, you have these Sadducees, these religious folks, um, and John's kind of rebuke of them is like, you brood of snakes. What do you think you're doing slithering down here to the river? Do you think a little water on your snakes is going to make any difference? He goes on to say, Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And as I was reading this this week, I was just thinking for you and I, we live in a day and age where honestly, there's like Christian pop culture. And Christianity can be like one of the cool things to do. You can be a part of something and connect to something, but you can also dive in and connect to something and not actually allow the full work that Jesus wants to do in you to happen. You just are a part of it. You stand and observe. You want to do what the rest of the group is doing. And so these Pharisees and these Sadducees come down to check it out. And John straight up calls them out because he realizes you have no desire for your heart to change. You just want to come be a part of and see what everybody else is doing. And so John then compares this 
coming judgment to this cutting down and burning of a fruit tree because it no longer produces fruit anymore. And so John yells out, the axe is already at the root of the trees. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Anybody want to go downtown Sherman and preach this message this afternoon with me? Repent and be baptized. Like, he's telling them it's already happening. Like, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and it's thrown into the fire. That judgment itself is about to begin and will come soon if you don't repent of your sins. And so John compares, like, this coming judgment to this cutting down of a fruit tree. I love it that John pulled no punches. That John's message to the leaders with these hardened hearts is actually the same that it is to you and I. Church, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And every tree that doesn't produce fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Like decades later, Jesus' brother James puts it another way in James 2. He says, faith without works is dead. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. If Jesus has done this in you, your response to what he's done, this cleansing, this purification that can only happen through Christ is that we produce fruit in our lives. Your life changed. And here's a concern of mine is that I actually fear that Christians today preach grace without repentance. We're, we're, we're called to repent the best that we are able to, to turn from our ways and then and only then rely on the grace of God through Jesus to save us. It's by his grace. And it starts with this highway of repentance of sort. And if we're to be disciples of the kingdom, we have to repent and live lives submitted to Jesus who's the king of that kingdom. God chose this John the Baptist to announce the Messiah and in some regards to mock the, like the self-importance, the ego of the religious leaders who were actually leading Jesus' people astray. And John was to bring them back. And, and throughout the Gospels in the Bible and throughout church history, people were actually amazed by one thing. They were amazed that such untrained people could speak on behalf of God in such powerful ways. And they have nothing to say in response to what they see God doing. Like God silenced these so-called experts with the work of unqualified men. I think that's so amazing. Um, in Acts chapter four, it says, now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. Not a lot has changed in the church since these times. Like God is still working in this very odd and similar way to today. God is using those that are untrained, that are the least likely, those that don't look the part and don't smell the part, but have been deeply pierced to the heart 
by the message of Jesus and are convinced so much so that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through him, that they're willing to change their ways and acknowledge him as king of their kingdom, of this kingdom. And I don't know about you, but I get kind of stoked when I read stories about people that God is using that aren't found in ivory towers with PhDs, don't you? And I don't know where each of you are at this morning. Uh, this morning as I was praying, I was thinking, pondering my own life. Um, like, are there any areas of my own life that I have lacked repentance? This act of literally allowing turning my way is like allowing Jesus to take full control over my life, changing my path. And for some of you this morning, you come here like maybe your life seems a little rugged. Um, and I want to tell you this morning that there's this Jesus. This Jesus that wants to clear the path in your life. So my prayer for us is twofold. One, that there's those here who I think are dealing with a repentance issue. You have yet to turn your life to God. Um, but another challenge on behalf of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus is that we actually have this amazing gift to prepare the way for the second coming of the Lord. Much like John the Baptist, he's called us as this ragtag group of people that may not look and act like most expect. But there's something that God's doing in and through these unqualified, unpolished people to prepare the way for Jesus' second coming because he's coming back. And you have this awesome opportunity to go to this world, into your workplaces and school and into your families and preach the same message that John the Baptist was preaching you too can repent and turn your, turn from your ways and turn to God. He can make your paths straight. And so I want to pray for those two people this morning. One, um, those of you that have maybe never turned your life to Jesus. And two, those of us who have and have failed to acknowledge this great gift God has given us and trusted to us this responsibility to live on this earth as followers of Jesus to prepare the way for Christ into the hearts and the lives of others that we interact with on a daily basis. Um, this last week, I was really convicted. I was on vacation, and about three days in, I was, we were sitting in a pool and surrounded by all these people. And uh, we had like all these stories made up about people, right? We're like, oh, what do you think is that person? Where do you think they're from? You know, what, what do you think their story is? And what do you think that person? And then we, we kept imagining these crazy stories in our heads. And then um, I looked at Heather and I was like, what do you think they think our story is? <laughs> that's the pastor, that's the follower of Jesus. 
or do I blend in like the rest of the crowd? And sometimes we can live life sort of like we're on vacation, can't we? <laughs> sort of like I have a hall pass today because of everything that's going on and I can just sort of fit in and not have to stick out. And I wanna challenge you this morning that it's just not an option. Like the option is not to fit in with the crowd and look like everybody else and act like everybody else. The option is you are set apart. You are special in the eyes of the Most High God. And the work that he did for you is so great that it should actually lead us to not live lives of perfection, but to live lives toward Christ, acknowledging him as king of the kingdom. Amen. Can I pray for you? Jesus, you know the state of each heart in this room. You know the state of each marriage in this room, the state of each relationship in this room. Jesus, you know those that are hiding out and trying to blend in. Praying this morning that you would stir something up within us. Jesus, I'm praying for us this morning that we would be trees that would bear good fruits. God, I pray for those in this room who don't know you. And maybe this morning is just this first step forward where they acknowledge that their way is not going so hot. And um, maybe you're speaking to their heart this morning, Lord, and you're revealing yourself to them and you're showing them, Jesus, that there's another way. I pray, Jesus, that you would move in their hearts to the point that they would acknowledge you as king in their lives, that they would turn their lives over to you, Jesus and acknowledge that there is no other way, that you are the way, Jesus. And for those of us that, um, again, this morning would acknowledge ourselves as followers of Jesus, would we take hand of the amazing responsibility you've given us to live differently on this earth, God, to actually rejoice in the fact that we don't blend in with the crowd, that we might look different, that we might act different and talk different. God, that there is something different about us, that there's a work that you've done deep within us that is unlike any other that many have experienced. And so I pray as we leave this place today, Jesus, um, that we would actually take pride in the fact that we get to live for the most high God, that we don't have to blend in, but we can stick out. Jesus, like John the Baptist, I pray that we would be people that would not fear from the harsh message of just letting people know there's another way and that they too, through repentance, can turn to the Most High God to find their lives uh, being righteous, Lord, to find forgiveness, to find salvation, to know, Jesus, that there is a plan and an ultimate purpose that you have for their lives. And so Jesus, would your grace go upon your church?
would your peace rest upon us and your power be within us. Jesus, may your spirit guide every word we speak to this next week, every action we do. God, please protect us, Jesus, from being a people um, who allow our hearts to be void of change, but to continue to try to do a bunch of good things. I pray that we'd be a, a people that before anything would allow our hearts to be radically changed by you and to watch the fruit of that be you drawing other people to yourselves and you allowing our lives to bear fruit that it could not bear in and of itself. Jesus, in your name we pray, amen. Let's worship.